0: Hey, hey, what is up, my party people? Welcome to another episode of The Birthlaunch Podcast. I am so excited that you've decided to join us today. Let's dive in. You guys, today's episode is an episode that so many people need to hear, but we just do a really poor job of talking about this before your baby gets here. And that is, what do you do after baby is here so when you're pregnant we spend a lot of time me specifically this is what i focus on but we, we talk about everything you need to know for birth and everything you need to know for pregnancy and everything you need to know to get you through labor and pushing your baby out and tending to your body afterwards but what about truly transitioning to your role as new parents or maybe you are not on your first baby and you're transitioning your entire family to integrate this new human into your life and I could not be happier or more honored to have on Alyssa Berlin who is going to dive in with me to talk all about your after birth plan Dr. Alyssa Berlin is a clinical psychologist specializing in pregnancy, postpartum, and parenting. In addition to offering live and virtual private and group counseling for new and expectant parents, Dr. Alyssa trains and mentors childbirth and postpartum professionals as well. She's also on the board of advisors for the International Cesarean Awareness Network, also known as ICANN, and is a faculty member of Maternal Mental Health Now Training Institute. Dr. Berlin created the After Birth Plan Workshop for new and expecting couples. This highly acclaimed program helps couples baby-proof their relationship and prepares them for a physically and emotionally healthy postpartum transition from baby. We are going to chat about how to realistically prepare for postpartum and how to create a fail-proof afterbirth plan. We're also going to dive into all the things that most partners don't realize about having a baby, labor, and postpartum. Dr. Alyssa is also going to be sharing about postpartum mood disorders, what to look out for and where to turn to for help if you or anyone you know is struggling after a baby. I cannot wait to dive in. So I'm going to hush and Dr. Alyssa, welcome to the show.
1: Hey there, how's it going?
0: Doing well. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I have to be honest, I'm, a, I'm fangirling a little bit. I've been following you and Dr. Elliot since I became a doula five years ago. Um, you guys are, you're up there on my list of like people I just want to shake your hand and, and people I've really enjoyed learning from and people who are so influential. So you are both doctors and you get it though if you're very different than your typical doctor you both understand that we've gotten so far away from typical undisturbed the traditional being supported birth and also postpartum we used to have this idea of it, it takes a village right and and we had that village in 2020. I mean, before 2020, we didn't have a village, but like, wow, 2020 has like really stripped us of our village. And so today I would love to dive into the harder topics, the stickier topics, the topics that when we bring these up, I think a lot of us probably take a deep breath of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go here emotionally, but I think we have to. And I couldn't think of a better person than you, Dr. Alyssa. So thank you so much for joining me. And before we get started, Just tell us who we're talking to. I gave a formal introduction for you, but who are you behind the screen, behind the mic? Who do we have here today?
1: You're so sweet. Um, You know, first and foremost, I am the proud and loving wife, right, of Dr. Elliot, and he and I have now been together about 24 years, which is amazing. (laughs) Um, and so have to give a shout out for him. He's amazing, he's an incredible life partner um, and couldn't do it without him. Um, He and I together are parents, uh, very, very proud parents of four incredible kiddos who are now 10, 12, 14 and 16 and funny enough, the new, I guess, grandparents of a guinea pig that joined the family yesterday.
0: Oh my goodness, that's so funny! Well, congratulations on being hashtag relationship goals for all of us out here. <laughs> I um, I've really enjoyed following along with you guys as family. So, in the end of the episode, we'll give everybody where they can connect with you. So, oh, yeah. Doctor Alyssa, huh, let's start at the very beginning before we dive into the heavy topics. Can you define for our listeners? What is postpartum? I think a lot of partners sometimes think like, oh, postpartum is the first two weeks or four weeks after birth. And, you know, a lot of women will say, well, my baby is X amount of months old, so I'm not really postpartum anymore. I have strong feelings about both of
1: these comments. Can you tell us what your feelings are? Absolutely. And and I can't even tell you how much I love the fact that you started with that question. And the reason is, is that, you know, yes, we want to understand time frame and I'll talk about that in a second. But I feel like the word postpartum gets subsumed in postpartum illnesses and we lose the normalcy of what that 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 initial period is after having a baby. So I think about postpartum from conception through that first year of life. Truthfully, anytime you've had a baby, you're forever postpartum. You can forever play that card. But but more specifically, right, we're talking about that first year. And it's a year of adjustments and transitions and change in a way that no other year really, I think, can come close. Um, you know, our, our babies go from being like these, you know, pretty immobile, blobby kind of little special creatures to walking, talking, eating, to coming into their own personality and truly becoming like an integral member of our family. But with all of those changes and growth and development is a lot of changes for us moms, right? Where we're used to different things and what our babies require of us. And, you know, our babies will never be as physically demanding as that first year of life. Emotional is another hand, right? And I've got two and two more budding teenagers. Um, but but yeah, postpartum is really that first year after after baby joins the family. So you touched on, you know,
0: we lose kind of the normal. Golly, what is the normal? Like it's hard, it's emotional, it's probably full of unexpected twists and turns. Is that normal? Am I weird? Is my bait is something wrong with my baby? Is something wrong with
1: me? Is something wrong with my family, my partner, my relationship? What's normal? And and that is, you know really getting to the heart of it, because no one wants to feel weird. No one wants to feel different. No one wants to feel like, gosh, I'm not doing it right. You know, when I speak at, you know, postpartum support groups, it is the first thing and the most impactful thing for people to walk away with. Oh, gosh, you too? You mean that's normal and that's okay? And by normal, we're kind of talking about like common and typical. And it, it, it runs the gamut. But what we want to think about is, you know, birth is a precipitous moment. No matter how many hours it may have taken to get there, right, no matter how long your labor is, there will be that precipitous moment where baby is born. It's a moment. Postpartum is a journey, right? I don't know anyone who day one of moving into a new home was like, oh my gosh, it feels like I've been here forever. I don't know anyone who day one of a new job is just like, I've got this, right? I know exactly where to go, where everything is, how to find things. It's like, OMG, (laughs) you know, and, and we usually ask for a lot of help. And where do I file and where's the, you know, water cooler back in the days, right? And we'll talk about, you know, COVID and everything later. Um, But it takes time. Any new adjustment takes time. And this is one of the more emotionally loaded adjustments that we have in our lives. So it's a journey. It's a lot of trial and error if we give ourselves the space and the grace to allow that to happen. And it's learning. It's learning our partners in a new way right? And it's learning this brand new person, you know, stateside, right? We, we got to know them and we felt really cozy and connected to them when they were in utero, but now they're here. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And, and how do we find, you know, kind of this beautiful balance in between? Navigating cries, navigating nighttime, daytime confusion, finding some semblance of routine or structure, right? All of this, it's a journey, And if we can really allow ourselves that space to see it as such as a transition, then it gives us a whole lot of permission to make mistakes, right? Air quotes, or to feel ourselves out and to just you know, take it as it comes as opposed to day one and I should already have it all figured out and I should already know what to do and I should already have a plan. I don't know anyone who has that figured out. And honestly, that's true for baby number one, In some ways it's true for every subsequent baby because each baby is a new personality. And so, yes, maybe I have more of the basics down if I have that experience of other children, but they may breastfeed differently. Their patterns and sleep style are going to be different. Their personalities are going to be so different. And so it just takes that time and space to to just, again, take it as it comes, feel what may, feel comfortable asking for help when you need it. you know, to me, that, that that is more of a common postpartum. And we'll talk about kind of things that, you know, struggles that can happen and things that could really um, test us in different ways and what to do with that. But that's the general vibe that, you know, I hope that women can start to allow, right? It's like this curiosity. And to take it from this place of, huh, that was interesting. And now what do I do with it? Or how do I navigate that?
0: Totally. I love that you um, compare it to a new job. So I always say the same thing. I always say you are entering a new job, except your boss, you're birthing them. And and your boss (laughs) is going to be this little baby who is a tiny little dictator and they can't really communicate that well. And they're super demanding and they get frustrated with you so fast. So you have to be okay floundering. You need to be okay accepting the fact that you have never, quote unquote, met this baby before, right? So yes, you grew this baby, but you didn't know their temperament. You didn't know their cries. You didn't know what kind of schedule they were going to put themselves on when they first got here. Like we didn't know any of this and you, there's no way to know it. You have to be okay with accepting the fact that you can prepare so much, but there is a piece that we will not be able to answer or prepare for until your tiny human gets here. And that is okay. All right, so- That's normal. It's normal to flounder. It's normal to struggle. It's normal to feel emotional and to ask for help. What about not normal things? Or maybe these are things that, and this is actually what I believe, but Maybe these are things that are normal, but our society just doesn't talk about them or we have this shame around them and so we never bring them up and so they feel very taboo and and what's coming to my mind is uh, postpartum guilt and postpartum isolation and postpartum grief. These are Typical things that a lot of people experience, yet somehow every single person who walks down this path feels so alone, feels like they're the only one. They feel like they have to hide it. They feel like there's not a community out there that they can share this with or get support with. What the heck is going on?
1: You know, and and I want to start first with the concept of normal but uncomfortable. and And that is something that as a society we struggle with. You know, for the most part, we are a society and getting better and definitely more progressive, I would say, you know, kind of locally in California or in L.A. where I live. But for the most part, it's kind of like, I think I might have a headache tomorrow. So I should take Tylenol today because I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Right. And there is this natural inclination to kind of move away from things that feel uncomfortable. And the assumption is, oh, this isn't right. Um, And so I think that that is a big contributing factor. Um, you know, I have to give a plug to the most, one of the most incredible books that I've ever read, which is Karen Kleinman came out with a book a couple of years ago. Um, and I feel like I'm probably single handedly responsible for it selling out on Amazon every time um, because it's called Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. Um, and so Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. And what I love about it is it's implicit in the title, right, that good moms struggle. They may have thoughts that are concerning to them, that you know, and, and you know, when you talk about kind of the ideas of grief or isolation, right? I don't know many new moms that haven't had the thought at some point of like, oh gosh, life was so much easier before, what did I do, right? Or I miss maybe how easy it was to do a simple task and now it feels so difficult. And what's wrong with me? if I'm getting frustrated with my baby, right? And, you know, oftentimes this does get perpetuated, you know, when we're talking to friends and we're talking to other people who have the babies and they're like, really, you do? Oh, I don't. Oh, really? You have a hard time and baby cries? Oh, oh I'm good. And, and, you know, when we talk about trying to normalize some of those taboos, it's really giving permission to have those conversations and to know, struggle, feeling frustrated, having some of those quote-unquote scary thoughts, right, doesn't make you a bad mom. What I love about Karen's book and why I brought it up, you know, is that she does such a great job and a lot of her book has, you know, um, exercises which are really helpful, things that you can do. More than anything, it's a lot of these cartoons of the talk bubble of what we put out there, And then the thought bubble of how we're really feeling. And like you said, those shameful internal things that we don't think really can come or see the light of day because, gosh, what are people going to think about me? Right? And so it's like, oh, my gosh, you're glowing. And the person's like, I know, life is blissful with baby. And then that thought inside is like, oh, my gosh, right? I'm exploding. I'm struggling. They don't even know how hard it is, right? I just want 10 minutes to myself, and I just can't seem to find it. Um, and and it's that dichotomy that really creates a lot of, like you were saying, that shame and that guilt and that what what's with me that I'm not, right, enjoying or experiencing the same way as other people, which is one of the reasons that I love talking about postpartum during pregnancy. And, you know, yes, you know, as you talked about, there is an element that we can prepare for, but there's a whole lot that we can. And one of the things that I like to do is open up that conversation for, you know, most women will struggle someplace along the way, right? Rarely do we have it all figured out all the time. And I want you to know that one of the places that I hear people struggle most often is is with breastfeeding. I don't think that people realize that it takes a good six to eight weeks to get breastfeeding really underway. And um, it's one of the most emotionally laden things, right? How in 2020 have we not figured out some really cool sticker that we could put on baby that has, you know, like those used to have on those old batteries it just gives you a little bit of a reading of, don't worry, mom, I took in two ounces. Like I'm good. You don't have to stress because we ride that breastfeeding sword. We live or die by it, right? If breastfeeding goes great, I'm a success. And if somehow I feel like I'm struggling, well, man, I failed at the most important thing that I want to do in life. And so I often joke that my first book is going to be titled, You're More Than a Pair of Boobs, right? Because women need to know that, you know, they're energy as a mom goes farther than breastfeeding or feeding their baby, and there's this whole much bigger entity of what we offer those kiddos, right? But it's hard if no one's talking about it and if no one's giving us those heads up. So I really take it upon myself in the workshop that I do to be like, hey, here's the things you may want to know. Let's talk about those things. Let's create permission that you can struggle and still be a good mom, right? You could have, oh my gosh, these scary thoughts of what did I do or what am I thinking, and it doesn't take away from how much you love your baby. And the more we can give permission and comfort to talk about those things, we'll see a lot of that isolation start to dissipate and some of that guilt and that shame start to dissipate because now I can talk about it. And boy, oh boy, if ever there was something true about people, we are social beings. And talking to someone else and getting that reassurance of, hey, that's okay, I get it, I've been there, that's going to comfort my nervous system faster than most other things.
0: Yes. Okay. I love so much of that. Sorry. I was just writing down all of the things that you were saying because you just spoke so much to my heart. You have no idea how many parents are shocked when they say, I don't think breastfeeding is working out for me, or I think I'd rather do something different or I'm ready to introduce formula. or I'm ready for X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I, I don't want to force you to do anything. I'm cool with however you want to feed your baby. I also respect the fact that breastfeeding may not be working out for your mental health. And above breastfeeding, your baby deserves a healthy parent. Your baby deserves a parent that is mentally stable so that they can love that baby to the fullest. right? And if you're not being able to give your baby 100% of yourself because breastfeeding is sucking that out of you, there is probably a better way. I think people are so shocked when, when I say that kind of stuff, because as a society, we have this way of judging people who choose not to breastfeed their, their baby as if they're choosing something wrong. And uh-huh. that's just not true at all. So my question that came out of all of that is uh-huh. if you're not struggling with the same thing that your friend has just shared with you, it's obviously unhelpful to be like, Oh, well, I'm not struggling with that. So I don't <laughs> even know what to tell you. So how should you respond? How can we respond and hear them and be supportive, but also, not necessarily understand
1: or relate to what they're going through. Sure. And, and it's really interesting, right? And, and not to say that anyone is, well, I mean, some people might be, but, but you know, this notion of, you know, we talk about like misery loves company. It's only partially true. Misery loves miserable company. And again, not to say that everyone is miserable per, per se, but it's that notion that we feel connected to people who have gone through things that we struggle with and can relate, Right. And so you know some things to think about is if your immediate circle may not be able to relate or understand there's so many incredible support groups and you know i think it's important that and especially in our society now we're virtual (laughs) virtual is the name of the game hi um to find a virtual support group or you know something in the area that you know with other people who are struggling in the same way can be really helpful you know, when it is your friends or your immediate circle, and like you said, maybe I haven't gone through that and maybe I don't understand. Um, one of the most helpful things is to ask questions, right? Okay, I, I may not get it, but tell me more about what's going on for you. What is? What was that like? What does that feel like? You know, in offering that support, questions can be really helpful. And, and I say that with the caveat of not the question why, Right. Why, to me, is a very judgmental question. Well, why are you feeling that way? Well, why are you struggling? I I mean, would you ever go over to someone and be like, well, why are you sweating? Um, Because my body is, you know, is needing a temperature change and sweating is the way my body self-regulates itself. Right. And so I, I like us to stay away from why right? Because again, that could feel punitive, but but tell me more and what's going on and how does that make you feel can be really supportive questions. And, and for people to know when you're supporting a new mom, when in doubt, it's okay to say, you know what, gosh, I'm not even sure what to say, but I'm happy to listen, right? Or that feels that feels really big, you know, just tell me more about that. I'm here for you. And I wanna remove that pressure from people that they need to know just what to say or they probably shouldn't say anything. And just calling and being like, I love you and I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing can go a really long way to that new mom feeling supported or that new dad or that new family, right? Or that new partner. Um, Because whenever there's a struggle, it's a family issue and we wanna come at it from a family perspective. So that can be really helpful and sweet. That is okay. So
0: my two thoughts, that just kind of came to my mind when you're in person. One of my biggest tips for, for my team, as I'm training my, my doulas, it's okay to be silent in person, in person. If you're not with this person, you can't be silent because silence on the other end feels like, you know, you're not being supportive, but if you're in person, you can be silent. And most of the time they'll talk. If you leave the space for them to do it, They will talk and they really just need you to be there. If you're not with them, I always recommend setting an alarm on your phone once or twice a week just to check in and you don't even have to ask a question. Just send a text saying, you're on my mind. I'm thinking about you. I wanted to check in with you. Hey, you crossed my mind today and I wanted to see how your day is going. It doesn't actually have to be about you know, their postpartum depression or the way that they're feeling or their birth trauma, you don't have to even steer the conversation in the, into that uncomfortableness if that's too much for you to do in the beginning, okay. right? Um, I obviously urge you to lean into any uncomfortableness, but that's just who I am as a human. I think that you should lean into that, but I'm not going to force yeah. you to do it. So if it's uncomfortable to, to directly take on, you know, their hard feelings, just check in with them and let them know that they're not alone. Because that's one of the cruelest things that postpartum depression, anxiety, you know, isolation, grief all does to a, a, a new parent. It makes them feel alone, and and that's that's a lie. We know that you're not alone. You're totally not alone in this. So,
1: wait, and mean, can I interject for a second before you go what? on? And, and just to kind of speak to that, like I want people to know. You can ask the hard questions, and you're not going to be suggesting something that they may not have thought about. Um, And now it's like, you know, if you say to someone like, hey, how are you feeling? You know, you seem like you're feeling down or sad or something like that. It's not like, well, gosh, I never thought about that. But now that you say it, well, yeah, now I am feeling depressed. Like, you can't suggest these things. And usually asking some of those hard questions just gives the other person permission to be like, yeah, kind of. And so for people to know that, because I think sometimes we don't want to ask because we're afraid that we're going to suggest something that wasn't already there. Or the concern of we're going to ask, but I don't know what I'm going to say in response to that. So if you say yes, now what do I do with that? And so connecting with one or two mental health practitioners that you feel comfortable with, so that should anyone endorse anxiety or depression or sadness or struggle, to know that you have that in your back pocket of like, wow, I'm so glad you let me know, you know, let's talk more about it and let me connect you with someone who could really help because you don't have to go through this by yourself, you know, and kind of making a warm referral even of like, hey, maybe we want to call together can be super, super helpful in facilitating someone getting the help that they need.
0: I love that. That is, you know, probably one of the hardest conversations you might have to have as a friend is I think that you need a little bit more help than what you are getting. Um, that can be super hard, but you can also save your friend's life in in that regard, right? Um, I think the the isolation for me is the biggest kicker. I just am not able to so much conceptualize how it feels so alone, yet every single person who's ever had a baby is postpartum. It is, it's like such trickery of our mind that, you know, our brain truly plays one of the cruelest jokes on us. It's, it's so bizarre to me. Um, and so I think a lot of people are so unprepared for it because we just don't think about it. We always think about when you think about a new baby, you're thinking about people coming over and, you know, always there to help and and people want to come see your baby and love on you guys. And you're going to have this wonderful life with this new baby. But those first few weeks since and months are really hard. And I think a lot of people are just so unprepared for that. So that leads me to the fact of, if you get into this situation, this postpartum period, and you're like, holy moly, I was super unprepared. I did not know it was going to be like that. I think I need some help. It doesn't always happen like that, right? Like it, it often happens like I need some help. Wait, Does that mean I can't do it by myself? Oh my gosh, am I not a good mother? Do other people have to ask for help? It it is like a multi layered dip asking for help, accepting help. Help. What do we do about (laughs) these feelings when it comes to asking for help in one of the hardest places in life and a place that actually was designed to be done in a group with your village, with your community, with a lot of support? And now, we don't, it's it's you, and if you're lucky enough to have a partner, then you have a partner, right? And if you're lucky enough to have a circle expanded past that, then lucky you,
1: but not everybody has all of that. What do right. we do? Right, it's such a good question, you know, and it, it's so multi-tiered or, or multi-leveled because there's a couple of different things. You know, one is, you know, as you were talking about, it's who? Who can we rely on? And if we don't have those people in our lives, how do we go about assembling our village? Um, But even, you know, and and simultaneously, I think the other part of that is um, giving ourselves permission to ask for help or to be comfortable accepting that help because so often we get in our own way, you know? And and here's, we are like, you know, the whole equal rights amendment and the whole women's movement kind of is a double-edged experience on one hand it's lovely because it gave women choice right i want to stay home with my baby that's my choice i want to go off to work that's my choice the the unintentional unfortunate byproduct of that you know from my perspective is that instead of creating choice it almost seemed to create this different expectation of well now you're meant to do it all you're meant to work 100 percent of the time and you're meant to give your baby 100 percent of yourself and I'm pretty sure the human condition tops out somewhere on like that 90, maybe 88, 92, somewhere around there, depending on the day kind of vibe. And so inherently you're working at 110 plus percent deficit off the bat, right? So it's how do we give permission to ourselves first and foremost to ask for help? And something that I heard in a postpartum support international conference that really stayed with me, this was many years back, But it was this notion that we all go through seasons of receiving and seasons of giving. And coming at it from that perspective just seemed to change how we approach help, right? Because, okay, so having a baby is going to be a season of receiving. But you know what? The seasons change and they shift. And I'm going to have a chance to be on the other side of it and go back to being sometimes more in my comfort zone of being on the giving end of it. But if we can create that softness around, hey, this is just a season of receiving and create that permission to not only accept help that's offered, but to ask for help that we're aware that we need, that can really be a game changer in the experience. Um, You know, help is a funny thing because I am a big believer that you have to be somewhat selective in who who you reach out for that support because help is only help if it's helpful. And so if we have certain people in our lives that are like, well, what do you mean? And this is what you need. And, you know, I'm bringing this over. And you're like, well, no, thanks. You know, that doesn't help me right now. They're like, no, 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 you need it. Well, then it's just someone else imposing their will, but we've no longer been helpful, right? And so kind of a byproduct of that is help is only help if yes and no are both viable options. So we can offer, right? But, for, but to give that new mom or to give that person, to give that new mom permission to be able to say, yeah, that would be amazing, thank you, or no thank you, but I appreciate the offer and really honoring her response is important. Um, where do we find that help, right? I mean, Elliot and I, we live in LA, we are from the East Coast, you know, we have had no family help locally. Um, and it was a kick in the pants, right? And I can remember very specific moments, you know, kind of the moments that come up for me is when we had baby number two in particular. And so my little guy would be off at a preschool maybe, and it was time to pick him up, but baby number two was sleeping. And it's just like, ah, I don't know what to do with myself because who am I going to displace? Am I going to wake you from your nap or am I going to be late picking you up? right? So these moments are so challenging if you don't have family locally. Um, So here's where I am a big believer that every baby comes with two new best friends, creativity and flexibility. How can I be creative? How can I be flexible? How can I connect with this new modern version of the village that isn't what it used to look like, but doesn't mean that I have nothing to access or to connect with? Um, And so it's how can we be creative and flexible? Are there are there friends around us that, you know, we feel comfortable and we can ask them for some assistance or, you know, can we hire people? Is there the, the potential to hire incredible doulas or, you know, nanny or other people that can support us if we're lucky enough to be able to do that? Is there perhaps another mom that you know that had a baby, you know, that's around the age of your baby? And can we swap or take turns helping each other? Of like, hey, I've got the kids; you go do what you need, and then you know, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll cover you the next time, or things like that. Um, and and even virtual support. Now, virtual support wasn't going to help me with my play school pickup, but. Virtual support is something that I think Corona ushered in in a very different way. And we're seeing this a lot in labor and delivery um, and in the postpartum period. And I think it's probably one of those things that especially in labor, I don't know that we could have ever wrapped our minds around the idea that having a doula on an iPad in your birthing room can actually be helpful and supportive. And yet it's amazing. And I have some very close friends who, oh my gosh, have just changed the face of what that virtual support looks like. And we can do the same thing postpartum, you know, especially in that postpartum period, sometimes knowing I'm not on my own or having that phone number in my back pocket is super helpful for me to feel like I can manage or do what I need to do because it's not that feeling of if I struggle, I'm, I'm stuck, right? And so sometimes even having, you know, that postpartum doula or that friend on the iPad keeping you company, telling you you're doing great. Helping you calm yourself, which will often calm baby, um, is is just a new way that we're going about it because we have lost some of the other things. Um, So some ideas that we can kind of flesh out and play with together.
0: Totally. I would be remiss and I know our listeners are like, oh, here she goes again. (laughs) I would be remiss if I didn't back up and at least make sure that everyone heard Dr. Alyssa say that help is only help if it's helpful and that yes and no are viable options. You guys know how I feel about informed consent and informed refusal. You know that I know, I know practitioners cannot practice informed consent if they don't have a healthy recognition for informed refusal. And your friends and your family and your support circle they need to abide by the same the same rules, right? Absolutely. Um, also, you talk about virtual support. So, um, and our listeners, again, they're like, here she goes again. We've yeah. been providing virtual support across the U.S. and outside the U.S. for three years now. And so coronavirus oh, wow. actually expanded our practice, but it didn't cause us to go virtual. Um, and so if you are, if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to thebirthlounge.com to, to learn about that. But you guys, yeah, absolutely. Virtual support is so flexible and you can use it anywhere and you can Mm -hmm. connect with doulas so before coronavirus you would have to fly me out to be to your birth right before we started doing virtual support and that's actually how our virtual support came about um is that people were like i can't afford to fly you out but i really want to birth under you and i was like okay let's I don't know, can you put me on an iPad? And, and then it, it expanded to Spain and Germany and Canada. And I was like, wow, this is so incredible. So you guys don't feel, you know, trapped by by coronavirus, except that segues me into my mind <laughs> of coronavirus has actually impacted postpartum quite a bit. So Dr. Alyssa, what do we need to know about the changes that are coming with coronavirus and also as new parents, how do we cope with those changes? A piece of us, I think a lot of people almost feel robbed of their postpartum time because you can't really enjoy friends and family or going out or, or showing off your baby other than pictures on social media.
1: Right. And, and you have to add me to your list of virtual support because you are amazing and you were so ahead of everything. I love that virtual support that you do. And, and like you were is. even talking about, absolutely. And to not feel like it's a lesser quality of support, it's amazing. And for a lot of people, it is this perfect balance for wanting that addition, but not feeling like, you know, like if I was not sure if I wanted another person, it's like, here's that support without that other physical body in the room. Or, you know, not having to leave my house, which can feel daunting with a new baby. So support comes to you in a different way. So you have been amazing and leading the pack, right? Way before all this craziness hit us. So you're incredible. I love you. And I love the work that you do. Um, corona. Oh, my gosh. What a beast, <laughs> you know? And, and here we are in November, and it, it, it's just hard to believe. That it's been around for so long you know i think about corona first and foremost like a fuel tank it's this giant ball of energy ready to just add intensity to whatever was good or bad and let's talk about that right um the thing about the whole COVID experience and corona is that there's so many things about the normalcy of life or our natural intuition that got called into question in a really interesting way. You know, so for example, most of us very much feel like, hey, if you love someone, keep them close. And here was COVID that said, if you care about someone, you know, socially distance, keep them away. That's how we protect people. And again, that was kind of like, you know, a really hard thing for our brains to fathom because it's so contrary to how we understand things. We're also, for the most part, a society of people who do. Right? Let's get up. Let's get in there. Let's fix. And again, you were told, no, 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 stay at home, sit down, don't do. Right. And that's hard because now there's all this energy and this antsiness inside of like, I just wanna, but I can't. Right. Um, and and the other really big thing, you know, with corona that I think impacted us is that we lost the natural ebb and flow of life, especially with our partner or our families. You know, it was no more, like you know, we lost those days of like, okay, bye, honey. Have a great day. I love you. I'll see you later. Whether it's, you know, a mom that's living with you, a partner, your children, whoever it is that you might've been ushering into their day, or as you say goodbye and you go about your day. And now it was just these unending hours of quarantining together. Um, you know, we also didn't have those reunion moments at the end of the day of I missed you and catch me up and what was going on because it was like, oh, you were sitting right there next to me the whole time. And so what I've seen is a lot of, you know, for a lot of people, if there were some, what I call relative cracks or bruises or struggles, you know, soft spots in a relationship, well, they became gigantic and kind of explosive. um, And they became a lot more challenging because it was like, I can't ever get away. I can't ever get a moment to myself. Um, I have seen it on the other side where things that were really lovely and cozy also got better. Right. But but there are all of these new things that we had to navigate. And, and probably the last thing about, you know, Corona that I would say that's been a really big struggle for a lot of people is this Corona fatigue of, you know, not even talking about the zoom fatigue, but but this Corona fatigue of taking right <laughs> Zoom fatigue is a whole nother ballgame, but we'll talk about that after. But the Corona fatigue of like, you know, I can't now just grab my keys and go. You know, it's like go back to the early days of when you first learned how to drive a car. And it was like, wait, you know, where do I put my hands? Remember to look behind you. Okay, put the car in, you know, in reverse or in drive. Like it required so much mental energy. And that's what it's like when we leave the house each day. It's kind of like, wait, did you remember your mask? Do you have your Purell if you're so inclined? If you're someone who's comfortable wearing gloves or whatever it is, it's like, do I have all of my stuff? Where can I go? When can I do it? What's open? What's not? And it's just requiring so much more energy to do things that, you know, just never required any energy at all. Um, And that's exhausting because that's all before you ever start or do something. So Corona is this giant fuel tank. I kind of see postpartum in a lot of the same ways where postpartum is this fuel tank. You know, people talk about the hormones of postpartum or the hormones of PMS. Now, my personal experience is that, you know, the hormones supercharge things. But chances are there was something already there. So I might've been bothered by something and maybe if I wasn't you know, right before my cycle or if I wasn't postpartum, I'd have more of the wherewithal to be like, oh, I can let it go. Well, now there's this fuel tank behind it making it much bigger than it might've been before. Um, and, and why I say that is we don't wanna discount people's concerns of like, oh, you're so hormonal. Oh, you're so PMS. Those are some of the most frustrating discounting things we could say to another person. You know, but instead to recognize there probably was a kernel of something there, but yeah, it's that much bigger because all of these hormones are available. Um, And again, you know, postpartum, it's this feeling of, for a lot of people, of that loss of rhyme or reason. Um, It's not the way I thought it would play out. Um, Like you said, you know, I feel like I'm speaking with a lot of people who, it just wasn't a part of the vision. Right. And so they feel like either they were sold this false bill of goods or they feel like they were somewhat duped because it's just not how they saw pregnancy showing off their bump. It's not how they saw postpartum. For women who had babies on the earlier side of COVID, you know, maybe it was a time when doulas weren't allowed and they were still figuring it out. Or, you know, people who were having home births, but their midwives didn't feel comfortable or safe coming because, you know, everything was so scary and up in the air. And this feeling of, you know, either trauma, right? And for a lot of people, it has been trauma or this feeling of loss, you know, that they didn't get to have something, especially as they may see friends who had their babies even a couple of months later that were able to have, you know, more of the vision of what they wanted. And it's, what do we do with that? You know, so it's really challenging in a lot of ways. Now, there is the positive side that people have talked about also, which is, hey, my partner's home. And so for some, it's been this different level of support of, hey, my partner's working from home. So for some, it's, hey, you know, if I need you, I can call you or I know I have that backup. Um, It hasn't played out like that for everyone. For other people, it's this frustration of, I'm working. And even though I'm home, you don't really have access to me which is harder than if you weren't home. And I just didn't have that support at all because knowing sometimes my partner's in the other room, but there's this invisible wall of not being able to access can be that much more frustrating. And I think, you know, maybe even as we talk about both sides, it's there's so much more again, just confusion. You're home, but you are accessible. You're home, but you're not accessible. How do I navigate these different things? right? Um, I was going to hire help and now I can't hire help because I don't feel comfortable having those people in my house. Well, where does that leave me now? And this decision fatigue that came with COVID, right? And again, talking about all these different types of fatigue, because it's what I'm hearing people talk about more than anything of I'm just so tired or I'm just so spent um, and taking on, you know, a look in a way that we have no precedence for. So it's this confusing experience that I'm just trying to feel out while trying to navigate postpartum at the same time, which is its own new and confusing experience, right? So I hope that that was easy to follow because it is all these potential directions and not quite sure where to go or what to access that I think really piggybacks off of that confusion that people are experiencing with COVID in general. And so we're really seeing those mirrored with each other.
0: Well, it's a lot. It's just a lot. It's a lot to be postpartum, and it's a lot to be in a pandemic, and then those Those people that fall in the middle of that Venn diagram where they have both, right? It's a lot to be postpartum in a pandemic, and it's like just a whole new experience. I, I love that you mentioned the the fatigue of like remembering everything. So anytime I get in a car, which is not often because where (laughs) am I going? I'm like I forgot how to drive. I like actually don't feel yes. that safe driving this car because I think I forgot how to drive. I was just joking over Seriously. Thanksgiving. My social skills are <laughs> like, they're 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 really suffering. Like I found myself being more awkward over the holidays where I was like, wow, I think my social skills are starting to suffer from not right. being out in public. Right. And I also joked over the holidays, like, ha ha. Remember when just last year you still like all you did to drink after somebody was like, double check like you're not sick right and if they said no <laughs> then you wouldn't drink after them like yeah. it's just it's so wild how much this has has changed everything but I do appreciate you bringing up some of the silver linings. You know, some of the things that I've been hearing is I get to spend more time with my baby since we're all working at home. I get to spend my, you know, more time with my partner since we're working at home. Um, I, I will say I miss the reunion at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I miss, you know, my partner coming home and, you know, me being able to greet him and say like, Hey, Oh my gosh, hi, I missed you so much today. And, and tell me about your day. And, yeah. and it, it is, it's, it's hard.
1: So, um, that being yeah, said, though, hard. it is hard. And that being said, COVID is not an excuse to stop dating. And again, yes. you just have to be that much more creative and flexible of how we get those. I'm a big fan of date moments, but how we get those date moments in, because it's so crucial and we still need that energy. And, you know, whether you take your car and bring an iPad and, you know, if you're in L.A., kind of park up at the top of the Hollywood Hills and do your own drive-in movie or, L.A. is actually exploding with drive-in movie theaters, but it's not an excuse to not do. We just have to be that much more creative and flexible of how we do it. And even if you go downstairs when those kiddos go to sleep and you make a picnic in the living room, I want you to find and figure it out because we need it. And like you said, we're losing (laughs) we're losing those social skills. We are not remembering how or what it looks like to get dressed. Oh my gosh, the first time I had to put on real shoes, like my feet hurt. I was like, they don't remember what shoes feel like. It is, it's a wild, wild alternate universe that we've walked into. And my kids and I were talking about it the other day. It's like, Hollywood could not have written the movie about the pandemic that would have been believable if we were not living it right now. Like we would have watched that movie and been like, oh my gosh, that's so far-fetched. Who are you talking about? Like, that's crazy. And yet here we are and it's it's just it's wild but yes we want to keep doing these things because they're important and they we need we need a source that can help generate positive energy and infuse our relationships or ourselves with positive energy that's not solely reliant on me manufacturing it on my own from nothing yep right I we just we need something on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So along those same lines, tell us about your after birth plan. Tell us about injecting, you know, ourselves and our life and our relationship with helpful, supportive things that can make that postpartum period a little bit easier, smoother. It's still going to be hard. It's still going to be emotional,
1: but just better. Right. So the afterbirth plan workshop was a, a brainchild of mine for many years, you know, especially because, like I said, Elliot and I, we were in LA by ourselves and didn't have family support at all. Um, and so, you know, it was probably after we had baby number two in particular that I'm like, there's gotta be more out there. It can't just be that you go into postpartum and it's like, okay, figure it out. Right. And and you hear people kind of even perpetuating that idea of like, well. There's no baby manual, so you've got no other choice. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, not having it. And so I went, I actually grabbed my birth doula who became a part of the family because, right, once you have that connection, she was our birth doula for all four babies. Um, I'm like, Sherry, let's go. We're gonna do some extra training and support. And she was awesome, right? Supporting me even down that path. But we did. We went to Colorado, and we did some additional training, and I did a whole bunch of research, and I put it together in this preparatory class that ideally couples do during pregnancy, you know, in that second trimester to prepare for what what to come. And the workshop is broken up into three different parts. The first part is accurate expectations, you know, so I know what, what this postpartum period is really about. It's so hard. If we let Hallmark and Instagram be our sole source of information, then we're expecting puppies and unicorns and rainbows and butterflies. And when that's not our only experience postpartum, we feel really caught off guard and bamboozled because whoa, whoa, whoa I didn't expect this. And so those accurate expectations are so important to be able to prepare. And most people will say, I really can't get through anything if I know what to expect or what's coming right? And so we really lean into that. Um, The last part of the workshop is all about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and what we call PMATs. Now, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders is what's replaced postpartum depression because now we know that postpartum depression is just a piece of a much, much bigger pie. Perinatal is from conception through that first year of life Right? So it encompasses postpartum in that. But what we recognize is that a lot of women will struggle starting in pregnancy. And we wanna be aware of that because it gives us that, opportun- that opportunity to intervene sooner and not wait for things to become more exacerbated when baby is you know stateside, as I like to say. Um, and mood and anxiety disorders because it's not just depression, it's depression and mania and bipolar and anxiety One of the things I see most often in my practice is obsessive compulsive disorder, postpartum, um, PTSD, right? So the trauma. And then in a more, you know, smaller subset of the population, psychosis. But in giving, you know, new couples this information, we can broaden their education. So first of all, if it's anxiety, it's not like, well, no, you can't have a postpartum depression because you're anxious. And it's like, well that's actually one of the more common manifestations or presentations that it has. And we we create a lot of, we create permission to have that conversation. We, I, I give um, couples the language of how to talk about it and dialogue about it. Um, I give partners, you know, examples of what to say that can be helpful and what not to say that even though your heart is in the right place, they come off feeling somewhat more judgmental or punitive. Um, and what to do about it, right? So, how to access treatment, how to access support, um, and things like that. One of the most important things, you know, for me is that both women and men know that if they struggle with a postpartum illness, that it's not their fault. It's not that they did something or didn't do something, and had they done it different, this might not have happened. But that for some people, this is just how their bodies respond to this adjustment. Um, And because it's not your fault and you didn't will it to come on, you can't will it to go away. And again, creating that permission and to know that the earlier we intervene, the faster we bring you back to enjoying this beautiful phase of life. Um, The other big part of that section that we talk about is really distinguishing baby blues, which is very normal, right? Anything that upward of 80 to 85% of a population experiences is normal. And it's a normal you know, adjustment that happens over those first couple of weeks as you're just, you know, getting ready, getting used to this new transition, coming off of those pregnancy hormones, and and just getting, you know, finding your grounding again, if you will, and being able to distinguish those normal baby blues from something that's, you know, pathological or disordered. Um, and then there's the middle section, and the middle section is all about the relationship with the couple. Um, we know that when things between the couple go south, or, or really struggle, um, that, that can be a risk factor into developing a PMAD. Um, and so when I think about relationships, I think about walking up and down escalator. So, you know, if we think about it together, put in a little bit of effort, you'll make some headway, put in a little bit more effort, you'll make more headway. But the second you stop actively climbing that escalator, right, that escalator is just naturally going to bring you back down. Same thing with relationships, put in a little bit of energy will make some headway, put in more energy we will hopefully, you know, experience even deeper closeness and connection. But the second we stop actively investing in our relationship, the more we feel this distance and disconnect setting in that naturally brings us farther apart. Having a baby speeds up that escalator, requiring us to double the efforts that we put into our relationship not pulling back. Um, And so, you know, through the workshop, I kind of go through what are the different things that, you know, if we're in this tumultuous place, the pitfalls of where we get in trouble in our relationship, and what are the things that we want to do to help us actively climb that escalator to be able to stay connected. Um, And from my perspective, right, when I think about that escalator, I put sleep as kind of that like middle landing, right? Sleep is that swing vote. If I'm well rested, then I usually have more of the wherewithal to climb up and to engage in and to invest in my relationship. If I'm struggling with sleep, I'm likely just struggling period. And that's when we are more susceptible to some of those pitfalls of postpartum.
0: I love that. So I was going to say, you know, it sounds almost impossible slash miserable to think about putting all this extra effort, energy into your relationship when you're dog tired, because you have a new baby and you're trying to breastfeed at all hours of the night and you're not resting. I assume your program teaches people how to lay the foundation before baby gets here so that you're not starting at ground zero, that you've built up a bank, if you will,
1: you know, before
0: your baby gets here. Is that
1: True. 100%, right? It's hard, you know, and think about it, like, I'll think about it from like a fire drill perspective, right? If you work in a building, we don't wait, God forbid, for, you know, a fire to break out to say, like, okay, what should we do? How are we going to get out? How are we going to handle this? We have, you know, clearly marked you know, systems and, you know, where are the evacuation paths and where are the fire extinguishers and things like that. And at least, you know, from a school perspective, we practice these fire drills so that God forbid we're in a, you know, dire situation. It's all autopilot. It's not like, wait, what was I supposed to do? And where was that thing? And how do I find it? Because it is, it's such a tall order to ask people to be doing that while they're so tired and feel overwhelmed with their day-to-day experiences or their day-to-day tasks. And so, yes, so we like to kind of hit on that golden trimester because the earlier we do it in pregnancy, the more time we have to prepare. And the goal is very much that when baby comes, these things are autopilot. They may still require a little bit of conscious energy to be like, oh, all right, let's keep this going but it's not scrambling because we're trying to implement a new system when there's already so much change around us, right? We don't like to change too much at one time. Um, So yeah, absolutely. Spot on.
0: Yeah. And you guys know what I, you know what I say, the longer your runway, the smoother your landing. (laughs) So start early. Don't wait until your baby is here to try and learn or prepare for postpartum because at that point you're not preparing, you are just living you're just surviving um you're just kind of making ends meet go ahead and actually plan and prepare you guys um really really put the time in i promise if you can put the time in now
1: it will pay off later oh, and yeah. i'm definitely going to have to borrow that because that is brilliant and such a beautiful illustration right of how to use that time to settle into pregnancy and to think about postpartum right Before, before anything, you know, gets gets more intense. That's, I love that. That is the perfect picture. You're awesome. Totally. Yeah, you know,
0: I always, I just, I always remind people you're pregnant for nine months for a reason, you know, and, and I get that we lose four to six weeks in the beginning. And we may not know, or it's still settling in or any of that jazz, but we still have seven to, to eight to nine months if your baby's past due, which most babies are first time babies, right? You you have those extra weeks kind of built in, use that time wisely. You guys, you have the time. Nature gives us the time to prepare. Our society just doesn't set us up in a way that we always think about it. All right, Dr. Alyssa, this was such a good conversation. Thank you so much for being here with me today and all of our listeners. I know people are like mind blown. They're like, wow, this is such a good conversation. If something you said today struck somebody in the heart or they wanted to work with you or they're interested in the afterbirth plan, how do they connect with you? How do they follow along? How do people continue to learn
1: from you? You are so amazing. And and I hope that this is, you know, gonna be the beginning of a much longer conversation and that we'll get to do this again because you tap into all of the things that people don't want to talk about. And I love that you don't just sit with that discomfort, but but you kind of go into it head on, right? And leading by that example and leading by that model of we can do it. And and what's so interesting and so cool is that the way the body works, the way the nervous system works, is if you sit with that discomfort. It doesn't swallow you or last forever, but it actually will dissipate, right? So when you can go into it and sit with it, it will also naturally dissipate and go away. I'm yet to go to the beach and see that wave that builds up and then says, you know what? I'm going to hang out here. I'm not going to come back down and crash. I'm just going to chill here for a while, right? Any one of those emotional waves or that discomfort will also come back down. It's just how we're hardwired. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being such a great example to letting everyone who listens to you know that it's okay, right? And that it's even desirable. Um, If you are wanting any more information, right? Anyone who's listening, I am now forever a part of your postpartum journey. So please don't hesitate to reach out with questions, comments, concerns, struggles, and I'm happy to help in any way that I can. You can find me on Instagram, at either The Afterbirth Plan or Dr. Alyssa Berlin. You can find me on the web at at www.drberlin.com, but doctor is spelled out, so it's d-o-c-t-o-r, berlin.com. From the website, from drberlin.com or from Instagram, there are links to the workshop, which is now a self-paced online workshop over Teachable. So, it's broken up into nine different modules. You could watch it at your own pace. Um, each module has, you know, take home points that I want you to remember, some, you know, reflective questions to really think about so you can personalize it. And the workshop culminates in a two page document, which is your actual afterbirth plan, because I want you to have this easy to use guide with all of your incredible postpartum resources at your fingertips. You know, we want to be able to remove as many barriers as possible. So if you're struggling, it's not like, well, what should I do and how do I do it? And, oh, it's too hard and it's too many steps, so forget it. But it's, I have my plan and it's all right here for me. And it's that much easier to access that support or, or you know, that friend that you're needing or wanting to help you, you know, just just navigate whatever that new piece is that you're going through.
0: That is fantastic. And listeners, we will link all of that for you in our show notes so that you have all that information. You have easy access and you can join the afterbirth plan um, if if that sounds good to you. Dr. Alyssa, I honestly cannot say thank you enough for all of your wisdom, for taking the time to be here with us and for loving on my people just as much (laughs) as I love on them. So thank you so, so much for our listeners. You guys, I'll see you again on Friday. But until then, please sit with this idea of uncomfortableness. Sit with this idea that postpartum you've been lied to. It is hard. It is emotional. You're going to flounder. But guess what? What? That's okay. It's like almost how it's supposed to be. If you didn't flounder or struggle in postpartum, I would truly be wondering what was wrong. Um, you are supposed to learn this new human. There is a there is a learning curve. Um, but guess what? you're new to being a parent and if if this is not your first baby you are new to being this baby's parent so give yourself some grace please give yourself permission to ask for help accept help and talk about those really hard things don't be afraid to um you know expand your circle so that you can be around like-minded people who are going through the same things and if you are interested in joining the birth lounge just head over to thebirthlounge.com if the doors are not open you can join our wait list and be among the first people to know when doors open Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hee and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.